Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, everybody. I'm Dominic Collison, co-founder at Future of Finance. Welcome to our webinar. If Europe needs a single European central securities depository, who will build it? Does Europe need a single European CSD? That's our first question. One person who definitely says, yes, Europe does need a single European CSD is Christine Lagarde, the president of the European Central Bank. And her speech to a European banking conference back on 17th of November last year certainly caught my eye. It was called a Kantian shift for the Capital Markets Union. And she invoked Immanuel Kant because, or at least I think this is what she meant, to say nothing of what the great philosopher himself might have meant, because he taught us that the world does not make us, but we make the world, which put all those practical men and women of business who for many years have been saying it's far too difficult to transform the way the post-trade functions of the capital markets in Europe are done today, mm. it puts them right back in their box. A truly European capital market, said Christine Lagarde, needs consolidated market infrastructures. So our second question is, who can meet that challenge? Who can actually do it? Who can make consolidation happen? Is it regulators or, as uh, Christine Lagarde seemed to argue, market forces? The answer to this question is far from obvious, as the history of attempts to answer it demonstrate. European regulators have argued for more than 20 years that the European capital markets need a single European CSD. That goal was set in the famous Lampelusi report of February 2001, just two years after the euro was introduced. The barriers that need to be cleared before Europe could have a single CSD were itemised in the Giovannini reports of November 2001 and April 2003. Again, both reports were published more than 20 years ago. The first iteration of the markets uh, in Financial Instruments Directive, MIFID I, which came into effect a mere 17 years ago, back in 2007, was expected to drive consolidation of CSDs in Europe by encouraging competition between CSDs. And to make that competition easier, the European Commission of the time orchestrated a code of conduct by which European CSDs agreed to publish their prices. Push things along a bit faster, the European Central Bank announced in July 2006 it was going to build a European cross-border settlement utility. Again, 17 years on, that project, T2S, has yet to pay for itself or even succeed in its goal of increasing cross-border transactions. The daily average volume of cross-CSD settlement transactions averaged just 1.15% of total T2S settlement volumes in 2021-2022. Worse still, the European Post-Trade Forum, EPTF, has reported that two-thirds of the Giovannini barriers are still in place, more than 20 years later. Not only that, but the EPTF identified another eight entirely new barriers that had been erected. So here we are, exactly 23 years on from the Lampelusi report. The euro area alone has not one CSD, but 22. That's actually two more the number of countries using the euro. The European Central Securities Depositories Association, EXTA, has 32 members. And between them, they're servicing equity markets that are half the size of those of the United States when you add them all up, and bond markets when you add them all up, one third the size of the American equivalent. Then there are also 22 different stock exchange groups operating 36 different exchanges and 18 central counterparty clearinghouses. So if Christine Lagarde is right and a truly European capital market needs consolidated market infrastructures, that consolidation clearly has a very long way to go. But without consolidation, 
argued one think tank report, much referred to in that speech by Christine Lagarde, European capital markets are destined always to be an also ran to the United States. Not just that, but it has negative implications for the funding, the profitability, the investment and the innovativeness of European business, and therefore it will damage the standard of living of all Europeans. Yet it's very hard to see how consolidation can actually happen, given the current starting point. But to help us try and work that out, we're joined by five experts. Chris Richardson is CEO at Percival Software, a leading supplier of technology to market infrastructures, including CSDs, and the sponsor of today's webinar. Dirk Loescher is a member of the executive board at Clearstream Banking in Frankfurt, where he's head of custody and investor solutions. Andrea Tranquilini is advisor to the CEO of the Securities Depository Center company in Riyadh, uh, where he is able to draw on his experience of five conventional CSDs and the first blockchain-based CSD. Bill Minahan is CEO of Simple, a blockchain-based database for the storage and sharing of standing settlement instructions, which he founded after more than 20 years in security services with State Street Global Advisors, Omgeo, DTCC, and IHS Market. Martin Watkins is Chief Executive Officer at Montes Group Limited, which is developing a cross-border CSD to support both native and non-native digital securities. As always, in addition to our panelists, we have you, our audience. Our panelists are eager to answer your questions as well as mine, and I encourage everybody watching or listening to submit questions and comments throughout this webinar by using the Q&A functionality at the bottom of your Zoom screens. I won't be saving your questions and comments up to the end, but uh, we'll endeavour to get our panellists to address them as we go along, so you can be an integral part of this discussion right from the outset. Indeed, you have already been uh, an integral part of this discussion, uh, and that's because we asked you to answer a handful of multiple choice questions when you registered for our event today. I'd like to thank all of you for doing that, because it means we can start with the collective wisdom of of uh, 140 odd, and the number's gone up since then, 140 odd individuals who registered for this webinar. Now we asked three questions. And the first was whether Christine Lagarde, the president of the European Central Bank is right to say that a truly European capital market needs uh, consolidated market infrastructures. Uh, and this is the, the first chart um, here. Uh, two thirds of you think she's right. Only one in six of you think she's wrong. Uh, but it's interesting, I think, to dig a little deeper into that two-thirds majority and see where it came from. Can we have the second chart, please? As you can see, if you look to the left there, it's technology vendors and consultants that agree with Christine Lagarde most enthusiastically. Uh, personally, I thought it was rather a, a, an odd finding. Uh, I expected vendors and consultants would think more CSDs the better, since it means more clients to work with. But what's really interesting uh, about who said what uh, is that people working at CSDs themselves think consolidation is necessary. 54% of those working at CSDs, uh, and less surprisingly, 63% of those working at ICSDs uh, uh, think that Europe needs a consolidated infrastructure. Now, of course, those uh, individuals at those CSDs are not all working at CSDs in Europe, and so probably many of them have good operational reasons uh, for finding the fragmentation of the European market infrastructure rather tiresome, uh, and some are also working at CSDs owned by ICSDs. And it's ICSDs, of course, which see themselves as the natural consolidators rather than consolidatees. And if you look carefully at the results of the poll, those European CSDs that are attending today are 
um, I'll put it like this, uh, more ambivalent on the question of whether consolidation is a good idea. Uh, let's have the third chart now, please. Now, our second question was, what are the biggest obstacles to the consolidation of European CSDs? Here we did and did not get a definitive answer. Did not because none of the options attracted even as much as a fifth, 20% of the vote. And we did because our audience is, if you add up what they see as the major obstacles, pretty clear about where the responsibility lies. It lies with governments and with regulators. They think harmonization of laws, rule books, elimination of national market practices, introduction of standards, those are the keys uh, to change. And that we need, it's a very important observation, uh, a single European regulator to kind of do a, a Gary Gensler uh, on the European infrastructural problem. Now, of course, the lack of these things in one sense is uh, just a restatement of the problem. No harmonization, you get no consolidation, no consolidation, you get no harmonization. So it is quite hard to work out here uh, which is the cart and which is the horse. But what is abundantly clear, if you look at the columns I've marked in red on this chart, is that the people who operate the current system, i.e. the CSDs and the ICSDs, and the people who use it, i.e. the custodian banks, the corporate issuers, the investors, are not at the uh, are not the heart of the problem uh, in the estimation of our audience today. Now, I do wonder how true that is. Are national CSDs and the domestic clients really not obstacles to change? And I'm sure we'll discuss that question further today. Could we have the fourth and final slide now? This was our, our third question. Um, and it wasn't asking the audience how CSD, you know, whether consolidation of CSDs was the answer. It was really how can European CSDs contribute to the challenge set by Christine Lagarde to create a single European capital market? And here again, we got no very clear answer, but I'm struck by the option that came top. That's on the left-hand side, technology. They're saying that CSDs, you are saying that CSDs should build a single programmable platform onto which all manner of digital assets could be issued, traded, settled, and safe kept. Now, there is a challenge. The future of the capital markets of Europe, and by extension, the future of the CSDs of Europe, lies in the hands of the CSDs themselves. In fact, if you look at this chart carefully and add up the things CSDs could do on their own, without having to ask regulators or governments or central banks or the European Commission to do anything at all, they do add up to 60% of the vote. And on that basis, our audience are not waiting, uh, as you might conclude from the previous slide, they're not waiting for officialdom to do something uh, and publish a single rule book or set up a single regulator. A clear majority think that CSDs should simply get on with it themselves. And that ends our brief survey of what our audience thinks needs to be done. And as I said, we look forward to hearing more from the audience during our discussion, which I'm now going to kick off by asking our panel whether they think uh, Christine Lagarde is right. And I'll come to you first, Chris. In this Kantian speech, uh, the president of the ECB spoke about how this fragmented infrastructure within the euro area is restricting the size of capital markets. It's increasing the cost of capital to European companies. It's inflating the transaction costs of trading, settling, custodying financial assets. It's perpetuating uh, the reliance of European business on debt rather than equity capital. It's making it very hard 
for securitized bond, asset-backed bond markets and venture capital industries to develop. And those have proved extremely important to continuing investment and innovation in the United States. In short, I think Christine Lagarde was saying that, uh, that European CSDs are more important than they think they are really, uh, that they're actually lowering the growth rate of the European economy or certainly helping to do that. And so making everybody in Europe a lot worse off than they need to be. And that's quite a big charge to make. Chris, you are um, not only our sponsor, but you also work with national CSDs in Europe. I mean, is, is Christine Lagarde right? Uh, are the costs of this fragmented market infrastructure as high as she seems to imply? Golly, uh, no. Um, the question is, is ludicrous, actually. Um, I don't understand how CSDs get tarred with the brush that it, it, it's all our fault and that somehow the the problems in the market or the market, such as it's defined, how, how people perceive it, is equivalent to how the CSD sits within that market. That, that, that's not true. Market is a cooperative effort of a number of stakeholders in it, of which the CSD are... Yeah, an important one, but um, I wouldn't say that necessarily the major player. I mean, one of the biggest issues that I see in terms of, of trying to consolidate, if you accept that we would we would even want to do that, um, one of the issues, one of the largest issues is that the, the complete difference in terms of concept and structure of the markets within Europe. So, okay. Here's how it breaks down. You, 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 the, the official definition is you've got two kinds of CSDs, direct holding and non-direct holding. Non-direct holding, most people know around the world as, as um, an omnibus market. So there are layers and layers of in intermediaries that, that uh, provide services to the market. And most of, the, most of Western Europe uses uh, omnibus markets, whereas uh, the Scandinavian countries, uh, the UK to a certain extent, uh, most of the new joiners to the EU have beneficial owner level accounts. And that's not just the, the, the level of consolidation at account level within a CSD. That speaks to fundamental differences in the flow of information and how business is done in each market. So yes, so let's have a single CSD in Europe. Let, let, let's take that under consideration. Well, which model are you gonna use? Who loses their shirt in that consolidation? I don't think, you know, it's, no, it, I, I don't even accept the basic premise on which she reached her conclusion. So, Andrea, yeah. perhaps you, you could you could comment on that. I think two things about what Chris has said. One is to, to revert back to one of the charts I showed. Clearly, the audience is alive to the fact that differences in national market practices are an obstacle to creating a single CSD. On the very specific point he raised about omnibus versus, you know, end user accounts, that's an area in which there has been a debate in Europe in recent years, and the custodian banks in particular have fought back against switching to a sort of Scandinavian model. They wanted to keep the omnibus model, and they've argued very strongly that it's to the benefit of clients. And if Christine Lagarde is to be believed, she's going to start dismissing those arguments in future. So what's your view, um, Andrea, of, of, of the Lagarde view that they actually can't go on like this because it's just too damaging? Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dominique, um, and um, good afternoon uh, to, to everyone. Uh, 
I, I think the fundamental question we need to ask ourselves is that, I mean, according to the Golden Porter rules is, which problem we are trying to solve here? So the, if the problem we are trying to solve is the creation of the capital market union, yes, if it was the solution, because this is the most advanced solution that the European Union has so far identified. To the point of Chris, uh, I, I agree that uh, the infrastructure as it is today does not respond to the nature of the problem uh, because that's what fundamentally Chris is saying. So what T2S has tried is to harmonize settlement, one of probably the most commoditized function across all of them in, in Europe. But what has not done as facilitating market access to in particular T2 and T3 market participant uh, that remain in certain market hidden to a number of intermediary level before reaching the market. Now the markets are more, uh, more uh, uh, immediately in, into the market themselves, but fundamentally most of them have a pure national horizon. So T2S has been conceived in a standardized manner for large institutions that could afford upgrading their technology, uh, have created an enormous spending at domestic level, but fundamentally has not attracted the T2 and the T3 uh, market participants. Plus, they have not; it has not changed their market practice, which was the ultimate objective. Uh, was the fact of sort of imposing swift monopoly for communication a mistake? Maybe. But fundamentally, I do think that T2S is, uh, is not the solution. If Lagarde believes that this is the embryonic uh, status of what can become a European, a real European CSD, okay, we can debate, but a lot of work needs to be done. At, the, at this stage, there isn't a European market for very good reasons. Chris, I liked them. I do believe that we fail that the current system failed in attracting uh, an important component of the market. So failing in putting together the, uh, or, or realizing the CMU, and that ultimately stands uh, with the regulators to, to, to guide and to lead the way for a unique uh, uh, infrastructure in Europe. Dirk, mm -hmm. uh, could, I, could I bring you in on this question? And I'll, I'll, I'll refer to a remark John Falk has made here, which is, it is kind of helpful perhaps in setting the scene on this question of national market practices. He says, if I remember correctly, uh, Euroclear's attempt at harmonization just across the countries where they own CSDs some years ago ended because it was too difficult and costly. So even within one organization, if you own five or six CSDs, you can't necessarily eradicate those national market practices. Um, but tell us, Dirk, what, it, it, how close to the truth is Christine Lagarde? Are we talking here about an issue for Europe, which is so important that these national differences need to be overridden by some means? Yeah, thank you, Dominic. I mean, uh, from, from my perspective, it is not really just about the consolidation. I mean, we are at this stage looking at very fragmented national laws, right? Looking at insolvency law, securities law, tax regulation, how share registration process works. Um, on top of omnibus versus segregated accounts. So it is not just a techno 
technology solution we are looking for here. It's much more. It is that we, we really support from our end um, the efforts around the capital markets union um, by means of strengthening the attractiveness of uh, the EU markets and um, also then at this point make more use of private funds, which is one of the things she, she is pushing for, right, especially in the light of the tense public budgets. Um, and at this point, we might also reconsider the EU supervisory setup um, for the next legislative period. But in general, I mean, we are very supportive um, of T2S and the cross-border settlement. We have probably been one of the most active CSDs in the segment, and we are very actively working on that for a very long time already. One of the key challenges we have identified is that um, the cross-border settlement didn't really work for dual listed securities. Um, it sounds like a technicality, but when you have conversations with clients and you spend 80% of your time to explain why 5% of the portfolio can't be settled cross-border the way it should in T2S, then there's something wrong, right? So we have very good dialogue with the ECB and the four CBs um, to get that changed. And there is going to be a change request uh, put in place um, or has been put in place and it's going to be executed next year. And the other thing we came across, it's also very interesting, is that um, a lot of market participants for historic reasons connect the PSET field for a given market with, for example, a Spanish PSET is for Spain, a French PSET is for France, right? But in order to really make cross-border settlement successful in T2S, you need to combine this. So you have to be able to, for example, have a Spanish security and settle with a counterparty who has a German PSET or the other way around. Only then you will be able to really um, make cross-border settlement happen. And that is the applicable standard. Just for historic reasons, um, the, the system infrastructure um, is not really able to accommodate for a lot of market participants, which means that we have a lot of clients being really interested to have more consolidation and more cross-border activity, but they face the challenge that their counterparties can't communicate with them this way because they can't support this piece at field. So from that perspective, there's still a lot of work to be done and um, we are ready um, to, to move forward with that. Uh, we are very active. You have uh, referred to the very low percentage number of cross-border settlement, but 80% of that is basically CLIS-related activity, right? Because um, not many CSDs have really moved forward on the cross-border activity so far. We see a little bit of movement now, also with um, other CSDs, like Euronext, for example, is moving into that direction at this stage. Um, so I'm, I'm sure there's going to be more to happen, but it's going to take some time. And it, in my view, it has taken much too long already. And we really need now to fix the source problem, which is to get the change request um, done from a T2S perspective, which the ECB has committed to do. Interesting. So I'll just comment there. there, there do you find actually, even within the industry, I'm talking about the, the, as a whole, not just CSDs specifically, that a lot of major participants don't really, the, the ones that are not involved in CSD operations really truly don't understand how a CSD and their operations actually fit into the capital market. They, they really don't appreciate the issues that we have to deal with and the role that we play in the market. That, that, that's what I find. There's a no, lot I of agree. ignorance I, at the highest levels about it, what we do. I think it is it is not very obvious, yeah. right? If you are not uh -huh. in that industry, um, it yeah. is very difficult to understand what a CSD does. So if you ask uh, the random man on the street, uh, they will be able to tell you uh -huh. if you're lucky a little bit about investing into stock. <laughs> but um, that yeah. there is a CSD in the background doing all the asset servicing and all the uh -huh. safekeeping and everything else, nobody knows, right? So yeah. to your point, yes. So CSDs yeah. um, 
what CSDs do do is not very well known um, to the public. Yeah. Actually, and I think I, I think I think the man in the street knows more about CSDs ever named before because uh, Euroclear is in the newspaper and the press all the time for holding hundreds of billions of of euros <laughs> and of, uh, of Russian it's... financial assets. Could <laughs> oh, yeah, I, yeah. I bring could I bring Bill in at this point? Bill, you you've been listening to both Andrea and. Uh, talk about the, the shortcomings of T2S. And clearly, a lot of things went wrong with that project. It took too long. It cost too much. It did nothing, as we've just been hearing, to encourage cross-border trades. Uh, it's still not complete, to be honest. You know, you know, UK and Greece are not in, inside the thing. It didn't address asset servicing. It was only a settlement. It didn't increase collateral mobility, blah, blah, blah. But then I, I've been surprised um, at how basic some of the things that are going wrong are. You know, we're getting failed. The failed trade rate is actually going up, not down, both in, in terms of volume and in terms of, of value. We've got a million um, plus cash penalties for failed trades being paid a month, mm -hmm. a month under, um, you know, uh, CSDR. That's that's one and three quarter billion euros a year, probably, which which market participants are paying. Those same market participants did their best to destroy the one form of pain which might have encouraged them to change their behavior which was mandatory buy-ins they killed that off even though it was originally yeah. inside um CSGR. so my question is what explains these continuing at that granular level bill what explains these continuing settlement efficiency it's is it late matching is it lack of reference data that stuff i was writing about when we founded global custodian magazine in 1989 are, they, are these still the issues yeah, I, I think to some extent they are. Um, yeah. uh, Dirk mentioned the the, the PSAS, and it, it's it's a very good, it's a tiny point, but it's a very good technical point. When uh, um, transactions are being settled, you know, many years ago, a UK security would settle in the UK and other countries into whatever country it was. When you have a cross cross border settlement, PSAT is actually your counterparts um, depositories where you're delivering the securities to. So it's almost like booking a taxi and say, I want to go there, but you don't tell them where to pick it up from. Um, what what should be included, and, and if, if there is a, a rule change coming in, one of the things that could be included is where is the security now and where is it going to go? And a lot of the time it will be the same. But if you want to truly allow for a market that, are, that allows that free movement of securities across borders, saying it, it's in Germany, it's going to Spain or whatever the, the two countries are, that would allow for the, the right information to be included in that. Um, the, the increase in the, the, the settlement fails, um, it was initially put down to COVID, um, and I'm, I'm sure that definitely played a, a big part, but we've been out of COVID for some time now. We've had the launch of um, the settlement discipline regime in 2022, and as you pointed out, um, just under one and three quarter billion euros of penalties have moved around. So that's not changed behavior either. Um, so I, I think it's there's a fundamental problem with the way that the, the, the system is set up today. And it should be something, it could, it could be reference data, it could be that the SSIs are incorrect, it could be late matching. So I think if you put all of those together, there are a lot of reasons that are stacking on top of each other, and maybe it's compounding the problem, but we haven't been able to unwind those problems with all of these penalties coming on as well. So they do they do seem to be quite a, quite a lot of things playing into it that are still causing fundamental problems in the industry. But Chris and Dirk have just been telling us that, that nobody, the man in the street doesn't understand what great work they're doing. If I listen to you, actually, it's pretty terrible work that, that's going on in, in, in the back office. OK, so, you know, 98% of these things or 94% of these things are settling on time, but there is still basic problems caused by systems, by lack of data, by re-keying, by people not knowing what they're doing. 
Yeah, and you know, it's, it's again, we can't blame them completely. They're the at the end of the the cycle. They're being told what to move and when to move it. So, if those instructions aren't getting to them in a timely basis, then they they can't really do things until they're told to do it. They they're not mind readers in that regard. But the fundamental problems that are causing the delays that that's what should be addressed. It, it's you know, my my company's looking at SSIs and making sure that that's a, a more efficient process. Things like trade matching, uh, doing that um, on trade date, getting the instruction down to the custodian who can then forward it onto the depository. That should all happen on T, but you know, quite a lot of the time it's happening late, and that's part of the fines are for that for that late matching part as well as the the late settlement. So, I, I think we it, it it is looking at the the basics of of, of the problem and and seeing where we can make fundamental differences, and some of them. Um, probably shouldn't be too hard to solve if you if you know where the securities are you know where you're delivering it to and you can get all of the economics agreed on a, on a timely basis then that should lay a very solid foundation to making sure that those trades settle on time um as you point out six percent don't and that's gone up from um about two two and a half percent um, a few years ago to, to that six percent so we, we really need to get over this curve and start it start getting it down the other end otherwise buy-ins will be uh, back on the agenda I was at a couple of conferences last year where um, people from um, the, the, the ECB were talking and they said that um, that's something that they're looking at. They want to see whether um, buy-ins are needed, whether I think the CSDR refit is going to look at that penalty amount. You know, are the, are the amounts too low? You would you would imagine that 1.7 billion euros shouldn't be too low, but if they're, if it's not changing behaviour, then maybe it is too low and, and maybe the threat of buy-ins coming back in is something that the industry needs to, to fundamentally change how they, they operate today. I remember Don't when I was a global custodian back, back 10 years ago for your friends at Omgeo and, and the, the, the industry admitted the only thing that would ever change their behaviour was mandatory buy-ins. Sorry, M Martin, I, I feel you should, you should been very, you've been very silent there. Um, I mean, you, you, did you, did you, you're on mute, I'm afraid, so do switch. No, no problem, no problem. No, it, I think it's, I think partly why I was uh, listening more than participating in the first bit is is obviously um, you know, the type of issues you're talking about here have evolved over the last 30 years. If you look, uh, the growth of CSDs coming through the 90s, uh, many of whom are still operating on the same technology, the same procedures and processes, um, and that also goes with the ecosystem for which they support. So it's not a, a single blame item. This is actually the evolution to get to a number of the inefficiencies. And basically, you know, if I go back to my days as a, uh, a, a big four consultant, I'd say I wouldn't have started here. So you know, the fact is, and the reality is, we are here. Now, from our perspective, we look at it from, from the Montes perspective that we've now got clearly defined regulatory rules and definitions of what's required. We've also got um, the transformation of financial markets from conventional to um, to digital securities. And we firmly believe that uh, in, in the years to come, everything will be a digital security. Now, the challenge that we've got here is how do we address some well, of the- Well, let's be clear about what yep. you're saying. You're saying that in the terms of digital assets, you've now got regulatory clarity. Is that what you meant? Uh, we've got regulatory clarity first. I was meaning on what a CSD is, what the rules are. It's very clear. So if you wanted to specify um, the requirements for the CSDs, the regulations are very clearly set out and you've got the CSDR refit. You then go to uh, look at digital securities, which wasn't the point I was making, but to answer your question there, uh, you've actually got in certain countries, you've got legal certainty. 
but you haven't got it across the board. And I know we come on to the pilot regime a bit later, so I'll answer that bit there. But I do think this starts to come to the point that Chris quite eloquently made, um, which is where we've got several models, we've got an indirect holding and a direct holding type model. The type of consolidation that I would see that Christine Lagarde could successfully be identifying uh-huh. is actually that we've got too many providers of the service across in let's take the European Union across 27 member states not the point of you either have indirect or direct but actually there should be fewer who provide either of the two services and then you allow the market dynamics to decide who wishes to use which so it's really what's your term consolidation as opposed to, and I totally agree, there are far too many CSDs in Europe. Um, and there are actually, in many cases, the majority of them are, if they stood alone, are uneconomic. And that only costs corporates and investors and issuers, it costs them vast amounts of money. So taking that all forward, what I'm looking at is saying, how do we transform out of where we are? And how do we get harmonization around the standards from our case for the new digital securities um, and actually leverage the uh, the fact that we can accommodate conventional securities in the same environment. And that comes down to where's the right laws, where's the right regulations, and also the right uh, uh, operating procedures for a digital environment, not an analog. Well, d- digital securities are one thing, you know, they're, they're a, they are a way off yet. You know, we're talking about analog securities, if you like. You mentioned market forces. Can these actually be effective in Europe when 60% of the CSDs we're talking about are owned by stock exchanges? Those stock exchanges obviously have a, a vested interest, or an interest, not doesn't have to be vested and sound contentious, but an interest in vertical integration. They like to control the trading, the clearing, and the settlement quite understandably. How can you ever get this, these market forces to work towards consolidation? Because they've got all these national monopolies, they want to control all three stages of the of the trading and post-trading process. And I, I don't see many CSDs around Europe kind of being for sale. So I don't see how market force can ever be effective. Well, I've seen some that are for sale, but um, uh, not oh, necessarily sometimes, yes. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily ones that you want to buy. Um, but you also look and you look at the, cons- uh, I mean, you uh, wrote in your article that you know, Euroclear has six different CSDs. I'm ex-Euroclear. Uh, six different CSDs, it's not harmonized. Um, and if you can't do it in-house. That's John pointed out. Yeah, that's John pointed yeah. out. Mm-hmm. If you can't do it in-house, don't even try and do it out, outside. So you then start saying, actually, what is the purpose and what's the basis? And you come back to the concentration around certain asset classes, around certain markets, and that's where you build out from. Uh, You've seen it in the the clearing side. That's why I was referring to CCPs earlier. Um, You look at uh, any any particular market that is cleared, it is concentrated in a particular um, entity that does it. And the same will evolve for uh, for CSDs because that's how we actually need to build out. You do need to have an element of natural consolidation. So I don't think you go for a single solution. So if we look at the way that Sidel now Clearstream um, was evolving as um, in competition with Euroclear, uh, that gave optionality. It didn't give a single answer. But when you're coming back to it, I think the way you're going to actually see the growth coming out of this is around particular assets in particular markets which are dominant. And then the question is, can that practice 
embrace the other markets around the EU 27? Or are you actually going to turn around and say that simply will be the only option? Because uh, same as you do with, with um, Brent crude and with WTI, there are only two benchmark products that you invest in. And you'll have the same happening around, uh, around financial securities, which are settled through CSDs. Yeah. Food, food for thought, Dominic. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, Dirk, I want to come to you about, about blockchain technology. Before I do, um, so John Thorpe makes another comment. Part of the reason, just to deal with this cross-border thing, part of the reason for TTS not increasing cross-border trading is that the investment industry as a whole is still domestically focused. The point I was making, actually, yep. the clients of the CSD is a part of or an obstacle here, although it's not really picked up in our in our survey of the of the registrants. And then another attendee has said, do we need to worry about cross-border settlement in Europe at all if we have a European super CSD and harmonized market practices? Uh, so we end up with a kind of DTCC for Europe and then everybody else can go hang themselves, as it were. And maybe that's imposed upon us by um, by the European Commission or the European Central Bank or some combination thereof. Anyway, you may have thoughts about that, Dirk, but but what about this, um, what Martin was alluding to there about, about digital assets, about about blockchain, cast your mind back to the fact that 25% of our registrants think that a single programmable platform is the one thing CSDs could do to actually accelerate progress towards a, a single capital market. And by that, they mean a, a, you know, a, a multiple blockchains, I guess, linked together by a single you know, set of smart contracts, set of APIs, so that it's kind of in, the seams between them are, are, are invisible. Um, what do you what do you mean what do you mean by programmable in this context? That you can program that you, you can program both the network and you can program the assets which are moved around on it using smart contracts. So smart contracts that sit on the on the network can also be inside the financial assets themselves. But it's a standardized programmability. So a bond is like an equity, is like a you know a a commodity, is like a real estate. So you know, you're you're operating to kind of technical standards. I think that's the model. Now, Dirk, Clearstream is obviously doing quite a lot of work um, on on the digital asset side. Um, what part do you think blockchain technology has to play in creating an infrastructure that can support a single European capital market? Yeah, very happy to take that question, Dominic. Um, and um, I mean. Currently, blockchain is not being used um, as much as people probably have thought it is in, in 24. Now, Clearstream, um, being part of Deutsche Börse Group overall, is obviously very actively engaged um, on these um, blockchain developments. So being in the digital security space um, along the value chain of security and along the value proposition of Deutsche Börse overall, we are building and investing into the relevant, relevant components. So there's HQLAX, for example, there's Funds DLT. We are building D7, uh, which probably a lot of people know best. And we are also um, investing into cryptocurrency um, asset safekeeping. Um, and um, we have alternative assets um, on chain via 360X. So there are a lot of things going on from an overall group perspective. Now, many elements are missing. Um, and uh, we have expressed in a joint paper with DTCC and Euroclear uh, in September last year that um, interoperability and standardization are, in our view, the key drivers um, for adaptation of blockchain technology in the wholesale banking industry. 
at this stage, we are aiming for innovative solutions, um, which are complementary to the traditional technology. So D7 is basically working along the value chain. You are starting with the issuance part, digitizing this part, and then we connect to the traditional world. Because what we should not underestimate is that also our clients, so the market participants, have to go with us on this journey. They have to also invest into their technology in order to accommodate those market changes. We have seen a, a number of examples um, in, in different locations where there was a lot of investment done to then find out that the market probably wasn't ready for it, uh, looking at Australia specifically. So there have been a lot of things done um, in the past where there was this big jump from where you are today into the future which have not been as successful as people were hoping them to be. So we, we are trying a different approach here, working along the value chain. And um, we are very committed um, to also um, work, um, for example, on those ECB trials. Um, all our CSDs are going to participate, not only the ICSD, but also CBF and LAC CSDs, so the two domestic CSDs are going to participate. And in that view, um, we, we are very supportive, but it's going to take some time, right? And it's going to require um, standardization and a common framework. That is going to be key. So far, there have been isolated initiatives, um, and um, those um, things will, will not really move the, the needle, right? We, we need to have something which is um, accessible, and um, doable um, in, in a bigger environment with multiple participants. Um, so we need to have the connections uh, built between those different solutions. And that is what we are focusing on next to uh, especially the, the D7 initiative on our side. And I don't know why my camera just switched off, so let me try to fix this. Oh, it is rather disconcerting seeing your face being still but hearing your voice. Thanks. Uh, Andrea, um, I know you'll want to, to, to comment on, on the blockchain, but Bill, I'd like to come to you after Andrea, just to yeah. give us a sense of how blockchain can help us overcome some of those old-fashioned um, problems that we that we have. Um, you know, the lack of reference data and late matching and all that. But Andrea, you ran a, a blockchain-based CSD based in Paris, focused on money market instruments, if memory serves. Um, that went for two years, but was eventually um, not a success. What, what have we learned from that experience about the technology and about the wider environment in which a blockchain-based exchange, uh, sorry, uh, CSD must compete? Well, thank you. Uh, I, I think there are, there are a number of factors, right? So first of all, um, the project started in a, in a context uh, um, with a focus on money market instruments in, in a context of lowering interest rate or extremely low interest rate. Prediction was for interest rate to rise, but they didn't. Um, so on the contrary, uh, the, what happened was the central bank, the European Central Bank at the time, extended uh, the, the quantitative easing and allowed uh, uh, financial institution to uh, finance uh, with a very competitive overnight rate, which created an alternative to financing with short-term instrument. Uh, then the pandemic occurred, so also the corporate moved the financing with the pandemic uh, with the pandemic system so this was not in itself associated to the technology so we managed to create the company company was up and running uh, well uh, the same macroeconomic factor uh, drained the liquidity from uh, from the from the company but to the point of uh, a dirt 
which claims the need of creating interoperability uh, to develop cross-border and communication between the different environments. The whole point here is the creation of liquidity. If you don't have liquidity, it becomes a catch-22. An issuer comes on your platform only if he has asset managers that buy. And buy, an asset manager buys only on the perspective, on measuring the risk of reselling or not reselling an asset. So if this risk is high, the asset manager will have assets, in this case with digital assets, in a very only limited part in his portfolio. So it's um, the, the point that Dirk makes is, is, is very valid. So we need to create a, an environment that create an ecosystem where many participants speak with each other. And so there is the possibility to create a secondary market. Otherwise, we can have the most fantastic technology. And I think many providers have proved that uh, this new technology since the last 10 years uh, have, uh, is, is efficient. Is, is lean, is probably more economic than uh, conventional technology, but beyond the pure use of the, an innovative technology, the market may not work, so that the, the initiative may not work because there is no liquidity. Now, in addition, in Europe, we know that there is no settlement. Digital settlement is still impossible because you're obliged to settle in T2S. So this is an, an additional element that is, is, uh, is pulling the brake off uh, on uh, issuance in a new form, which is the digital form. Now, Bill, one thing I, I don't see is, is the CSDs of Europe, as opposed to the ICSDs, which are doing things in blockchain. I don't see CSDs doing much. Indeed, I hear they don't see any business case for getting involved with blockchain at all. Now, I, I don't know whether they're, they're right about that, but that certainly seems to be the view. What I, I know you're working with, with, with Chainlink, for example. Um, what part can um, can blockchain play in improving that pretty dismal operational performance? Uh, just narrowly on the settlement question in in Europe. Yeah, I, I think for me personally, I, I I think the direction of travel is that there there will be um, DLT uh, experiments experiments over the, the next few years, and they will start to become more of the norm, and we will start to see a lot of volume going through those. Um, I think between now and then, though, what we have to do is make sure that we're we're getting the house in order and, and we're doing things in the right way. So making sure that um, all of the, the relevant data needed for settlement um, is all aligned, all set up, all correct. Um, if you knew where all of the positions were, that would would again, that would, would help greatly uh, to lower um, the, the, the fail rate that we see today. So for me, the current model doesn't work. Um, the, the fact that we have such a high fail rate, and and even if it's just gone up in the last few years, it's still pretty high. If, if you know if you went into surgery and they said there's a, a one in fifty chance of you of you not coming out the other end of this one for a fairly basic surgery that you're going in for, you you'd, you'd think twice about going in for that surgery. I, I think what we have to do is look at that whole process and. For me, putting blockchain alongside it and having a Prius model where you've got the blockchain that will help improve efficiency along the way and it coexists with the current um, ecosystem that exists is a way that you could almost start to um, drive the process to be more DLT based. Um, you're not going to get all clients to move over um, in a single hit, as, as was mentioned before. There are going to be um, companies that need to invest in their technology to make sure that they're all aligned with the new way of doing things. And that's why I think the work that Chainlink are doing where 
you can use the current Swift message infrastructure if you want to uh, and connect that into um, uh, either uh, get the messages from a blockchain environment and connect it through Swift into the current technology. Um, I think that could be a way that um, this could work quite well. But uh, again, for me, this this process all comes back to having all of the right information in the right place and making sure that everybody understands what they're doing when they enter into that 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 contract. And that's at the exchange layer. You could also flip it around and say, if something's put onto an exchange, you drive it from there. So that that was one of the other things that um, we're looking into with the client is, is the current model the right model? Could you do this slightly differently and allow the exchange to, to drive that down to the depository rather than going around the the, the the different intermediaries that you see today? Is there a better way of doing it? So we're looking at um, something along those lines as, as well. Yeah. I have a very interesting question from, from Hugh Simpson. And, and Hugh, I have noticed it and we'll come back to it. But just while we're on the blockchain um, topic, I'll just read some comments from attendees. Monica Singer says, should traditional CSDs and exchanges not learn from the successes of high liquidity being achieved by, for example, Uniswap uh, in decentralized finance, but bring the regulatory credibility that traditional finance has achieved? In other words, let's have automated market makers uh, operating in traditional finance traditional finance but fully compliant with the regulations so that's the challenge there and, and that's an area where obviously christine Lagarde and her friends could help um another attendee has said the potential for dlt remains enormous to disrupt the archaic state of post-trade market infrastructure but wholesale adoption and cost interface from participants remains a barrier that's a point you were talking about there bill that you can keep the swift interface and still be active in in digital assets um that, that addresses that problem although there's lots of people to preserve failed systems, right? I, I'd certainly like to come in on that, Dominic. Okay, well, what, what just what, uh, I don't know. John Falk also asked, who's defining the standards for these smart contracts to back to the single programmable? <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, which is which is not is not smoke and mirrors. You, you know, it, the Bank for International <laughs> Settlements has, has used this term, albeit for digital money rather than digital assets. Um, and the Regulated Liability Network is working up a uh, a, a program for this as well. So. It's not something which I sucked out the end of my thumb. It's a live discussion, the, the single program. Anyway, um, Martin, go ahead. You wanted to come in on these. Yeah, I'll come in on the token one uh, or smart contract one afterwards. But I think first dealing with, and I'm, I'm absolutely in line with uh, with Monica Singer, and we're, we're delighted that she, Monica is very kindly a member of our advisory council and helping us steer through, given the work she did over at Straight. Um, and also picking up on the anonymous attendee who's, um, uh, who's talking about the enormous disruption that can be achieved. The whole point behind this, and it's exactly the same that you've talked about the issues in the in in the last 30 years. It's about getting people to harmonize, getting people all to be at the right levels. So if we think that a CSD, and we're building a digital CSD, we've applied for a license in Luxembourg because the laws and the regulations support us very much there. Uh, but this is to go live. It's not about proof of concepts and so on. And what we actually are working with is we're working the participants who create that ecosystem, who then support the issuances for exactly the reasons that uh, that Dirk and others have been making. The issuers need to then know that they're issuing into a liquid market. The liquid market has to have the investors who are going to support around it, knowing that they can also sell out of those positions. And that then goes in through to actually the custodians and then on to, in our case, settlement banks, as we're settling through target two. Um, some of the key aspects behind this are actually reducing the level of change that needs to come on. 
Now we're already doing that from the basis subject, getting authorization, authorization permission, is to actually retain the SWIFT messages that are required to go back and forth, but still deliver the benefits of actually getting exchange traded messages from an API and giving uh, wallet access for all our participants. So custodians can see their live positions at the point that settlement finality three gives them legal enforceability around those instruments. Um, from the point of view of what we're also creating, we're creating the ability to have tokens. Tokens only become smart contracts when you've got the executable code. And the big benefit there is to get away from this, this concept of, of the lifecycle management being complex and expensive. You already pre-program that lifecycle into the asset right at the beginning. It means there's an element more work and cost upfront, but then the lifecycle of that is fundamentally different. And if we look at it, I want to take you to the stage where you talked about different systems and uh, intermediation and so on. Interoperability has come up. Today, we have the technical ability, but not all the laws and the regulations in place. And it's not something we should rush to, but we should recognize it's there. We've got the technical ability for JP Morgan to sell or buy using Onyx for HSBC to sell or buy using Orion. And what we're looking at from a CSD's perspective, if that state change is recognized in Montes, we automatically have achieved right through to settlement finality three, just by recognizing the state change. So technically that is available now, the financial innovation is there, but we need to step through that carefully with all the ecosystem participants and with the regulators and the legislators but that capability is what we're building for today. Can and I that fundamentally addresses those barriers. I, I, yeah. It's very interesting. It's interesting listening to you, but it's like you're doing this in a separate, in a parallel universe to what's yeah. going on in CSDs. And yeah. a question to you plainly, well, you know, in, yep. in, a just, in a just world, if CSDs were, were excited by this technology, you wouldn't exist because your clients would have been able to find a CSD to do this work for them. But the CSD right. is really not responding to that. You exist only because the CSDs are not. Well, you say, you say, yeah, okay. There's a couple of things here. I think first of all, we can actually do it not in a parallel world. We can do it with conventional securities. Okay, so we can do it with conventional under Luxembourg law, registered using Article Three of CSDR in book in book format onto a blockchain. Now, some of the comment that was made earlier around ASX and Australia had a go and didn't work very well. Well, I seem to recall Euroclear wrote off 750 million for the inability to develop a single platform. And we can look at a number of other CSDs who've had very big problems with basic technologies. So I don't think it's around the technology or us going off on a different tangent. If you look at what SDX are already doing, SDX have got that capability and have had that capability to both do conventional and digital securities for some time and are extending further from their side. And there are other CSDs who are gradually getting there. Dirk and the team at D, uh, D7 are able to do some form of digital securities, but that needs to co-mingle alongside conventional. And that's the part we're looking at because we're seeing a lot of institutional demand coming in at this stage for tokenization. If that's tokenized, you need to be able to have it admitted onto secondary market, which means you need CSDs. It does mean that in the future, there will be fewer CSDs because fewer of the incumbents are gonna be able to close the gap. So it is something, and it's, it's absolutely sitting square and center as a conventional full scope CSD 
but with digital securities, the sort of thing I tried to do when I brought Paxos and Euroclear together many years ago. Okay, thanks. Uh, we're within Dominic. five minutes of our official stop time, but I'm going to let this run on because the audience seem very engaged. We're getting lots of questions coming in. Um, uh, uh, Andre, you wanted to comment. Can, can we talk about the can we talk about the pilot regime because that that you know to 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 Martin's point about you have to issue these tokens into a into a CSD is is a kind of barrier to to the growth of of, of digital assets in Europe. And that's so that's uh, definitely I, I do believe so. Fundamentally, it has been badly conceived, and I think the demonstration. Flop, if isn't it? It's not, not badly conceived. It's actually a flop. I can only find one startup exchange, which is absolutely. But that's I think Montis is the demonstration that they are looking for a full license. If I'm not wrong wrong uh, instead of going to the pilot regime right so because the limitation that the pilot regime imposes in terms of issuance in terms of uh, uh, it, it, it imposes a company to lose money through the years and never break even fundamentally so uh, it, it's uh, I, I don't know fun, I don't know which is the um, the foundation of the rationale behind that I may have my idea, which maybe maybe there was an interest of someone to gain time uh, to be ready to. <laughs> no, I mean it's that's, it's uh, true. I mean, it's true. It's true. I mean, it's, I'm sorry to say to, to be blunt, but I think uh, I uh, what <clears throat> without mentioning, uh, but uh, I think uh, from what I saw from outside Europe or still when I was there, I saw very very good progress uh, from. Uh, the company that Dirk is representing today, but not by someone else. And then, uh, and then I don't know how, but the pilot regime came out as a, as a showstopper for settlement in, uh, in digital assets in, in Europe. So ultimately today is unusable. And so if a, a, a version uh, of an equivalent of a pilot regime that maybe work will appear nearby the European Union will be in UK, hopefully if if uh, uh, the sandbox will not create a similar barrier to um, to development, uh, um, so pilot regime, I think we should really forget it. is a is a is a useless barrier in a in totally useless piece of legislation. On the contrary, is right. a, is an obstacle to development, in my view. Okay. So, Chris, we don't see many CSDs queuing up to to join the pilot regime, do we? No, 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 because they look around them and they see, uh, 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 in the wake of lots of failures and lost money, they don't see anything attractive there to follow. <laughs> look, what what we're discussing is does you does Europe need a single CSD? Got nothing to do with technology. We're talking about integrating into a single CSD. If you have a technology that works, it's going to succeed and people will use it. That's a completely separate question from consolidating CSD business into a single structure and, and to, to, with the, the idea that you're going to in, engender Chris, a better not, market. That's not, that's not what we've been saying. We, you know, The audience has been telling us and some of our panelists have been telling us that technology is a way forward to a consolidated infrastructure precisely because of all the barriers, all those political, legal, market practice, old Spanish practice barriers to actually getting this done in any other way. But those uh, exist in the regulations. You can't get around legal barriers with technology. If you're not allowed <laughs> yeah, to do something, you're not allowed to do exactly. The is offering to do that. The European Commission I, is offering to do that. They're saying we're fed up. We've waited let, 20 years for nothing to happen. 
let's think about uh, what I mean. Two 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 key factors. I mean, uh, the giant here is is in the room. It's not that T2S is not working, and it's the only case, uh, the only possibility for investors, issuer and investors to to trade in Europe. So we have today two entities that have been successfully developing their business since the late 60s at the beginning of the 70s mm. and then on the basis of um, hunting door-to-door -door the, the, uh, the, the issuers and investors uh, so t2 and t3 and t4 level investors offering tailor-made services to their needs especially when they had not the capability to use swift and i have facilitated the issuance on the basis of a single legal environment which for the eurobonds is the english law so if if these are two key success factor of success for the icsds today we should ask ourselves why t2s is not working so the governments in europe do not want to issue outside their country on a different issuance law Thank you. You guess what? I mean, I I Italy, so France, they have a trillion of uh, of uh, of of debt. You imagine to issue uh, Italian debt or French debt under German law because the T2S is made in Germany. But this will never is, happen. It, it's not a technology problem. Exactly. You can't solve it with technology. So, so in addition, in addition to that, mm -hmm. is. So if you are unable to facilitate, that's a CMU factor, the access of those that cannot afford to stay up to the level of any SWIFT upgrade from 777, 1522, 20 or 22, then you lose one part of the market. So the market yes. will remain always domestic to the point of John. Correct. So these, these are the two key factors that- okay. Once you have addressed the liquidity, the, the creation of a centralized liquidity for government debt, then you are on, 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 on the right track because yep. you will not have enough business to justify the, the fragmentation of infrastructure. Yep. But okay, As we're getting lots of comments coming in now. Um, I'd like to read, uh, Keith Baer says to us, what are the three key items the UK DSS, by which he means I assume the digital security sandbox, is back to the pilot regime. The UK is setting up its own pilot regime, if you like, called the Digital Security Summit. They promise to have no none of those ceilings on market cap, which have hobbled the, the pilot regime. Um, and of course, the UK being out of Europe, I guess it's it's a problem to set yourself up in the UK rather than Europe. But he, Keith is asking, what are the three things that the UK digital sandbox needs to get right, given the issues with the EU pilot regime? Scrapping the ceilings is one, right, Andrea? What else would you name? A couple of other things you can think well, of. <clears throat> well, well, I've, I've not followed the, the most the most recent development, but I think if we look at really what was not working in the, in the in the pilot regime, uh, this is the the number the, the amount of issuance, the amount of overall um, um, centralized uh, assets, and uh, mm -hmm. and I think what anything is important that they highlighted is the need to create interoperability because uh, it's it, well, there are multiple initiatives there will be fragmentation of liquidity if you do not manage to create a unique interoperability uh, inter this is a, a master and i think i would say one thing that needs to be addressed is uh, is really um, the a standardization of issuance in the sense that 
when you create digital assets, you need to define the protocols so that the digital representation of an equity in an environment is equivalent to the other one. So you need to create registers that have this function of, uh, let's say, framing what, what an asset is. So a definition of an equity corresponds always to the same parameters. Yeah. Legally, legally, not in a technology sense. Legally, legally, yeah. legally, yeah. legally. I'm, legally. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely with both of you on that. And I, I think you know, this whole element of having it uh, sitting correctly under the laws, mm -hmm. but recognizing, and this came in one of the, one of the comments from, uh, from Ian Hunt, one of the questions or comments, is actually you then start mm -hmm. to say, if we can have a single record, then why can't that single record be used by the transfer agent stroke registrar, be used yeah. by the CSD. Now the CSD only needs to see the legal owner level, the transfer agent wants the UBO level, but all that information can sit in one permission chain. Now, I agree with you, Chris, that this isn't about a technology play. This is about understanding how we can reimagine and redesign capital markets going forward. So many things have been step by step by step. We have to have multiple different intermediaries and the intermediaries will still remain. But yeah. the work they do, we will remove the zero value add. And that's why we're really pleased at Montes to be following on the work that Andrea uh, launched uh, a few years ago, because this is the journey that we're on. It will take time to get to. But there's a huge amount of things which add no value whatsoever. And those are the ones that need to be replaced because that's when the cost and efficiency comes down. Chris, you know, yeah. A, a lot of people are on the market for secrecy. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that's a fundamental uh, interest in the larger vested interests pretty well around the world. They're looking for secrecy. The drive towards programmability, centralization of, of CSD function runs across that. This is an issue, and it's, that's got nothing to do with, with technology, but you're fighting a political battle in, in another arena. That's a separate battle that's going on. We're into our last t 10 minutes yep. now, and I, I, I'd like to sort of think about how we wrap this discussion up. Mm -hmm. The Ian Hunt comment you referred to, Martin, is RCSD is taking the wrong view of blockchain potential. Exactly. They, see it, they yep. seem to see it as a way of doing exactly what they do now, but a bit sexier rather than a transformation of the ecosystem. CSDs may be the blockbusters of tomorrow as soon as a credible Netflix uh, appears. And um, I, I know where Ian is coming from on that. Can uh, I answer that one? Uh, no, but you've used no. it. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've heard enough from you now. No. Um, my, uh, another attendee said, my understanding of the purported benefits of DLT is decentralization and distribution of a process that's typically centralized across a small number of intermediaries. Bitcoin, Ethereum, for which this technology was invented, did not require a central bank. We're keeping, well, his main point is if we're keeping these intermediaries such as CSEs, what's the point? Um, very interesting okay. observation here from Viraj Kulkarni here. It says the evolution of CSDs in India to handle over 140 million investors digitally. That's your, your end investor account model. You know, the Indians are proving this actually works. So thank you, Viraj, for that point. It's a good one. Um, uh, Kaladi uh, Majikadami is saying, we suggest the host consideration upcoming webinar, coming CBDC programmability and ramifications thereof. With TradFi, albeit theoretical for Europe, notwithstanding a justified exercise, Europe lags 10 years behind the front runners. 
Chris um, prompted a challenge, which was semi-muted by the host. Was that me? I'm the host. Uh, understand we've been saying, okay, so sorry if I shut you up there, Chris, but we'll get on to that. Um, uh, Viraj says regulators need to focus in developing markets on liquidity and wealth creation, removing the reg barriers and using tech solutions to enable it. Yeah, that's the sequence I think you would like to see. Chris, let's get rid of the, get the laws and regulations right. That's indeed what our attendees have said in response to our multiple choice questions. We need to get the regs and the laws right, and then we can build the technology. So, um, I'd like to go back now to, to wind up our discussion to the, to the point which, um, which Hugh Simpson asked about actually how we get to, and you raised this, Chris, how we get to this consolidation. Hugh says, is it more realistic to think regionally? Three to four major CSD groups in Western Europe is probably manageable, but there are 10 or more individual tiny CSDs through Eastern and Southern Europe, many not even in T2S yet. That must hold back the integration of their markets into CMU. Should it be a priority to consolidate at the regional level? Who wants to do it? In other words, I'm asking what is a concrete, rapid way forward to get a set of CSD services that can actually support Christine Lagarde's idea of a single European capital market? What, what can we actually do? Do we, you know, I don't know how we get to use regional integration, but that's one idea. Does that require regulatory intervention? Um, you know, I think we've talked a lot about whether technology is enough, and I think we're agreeing that we've got to clear the regulation laws first and then move to technology. Um, you may remember only 4% of our attendees thought that uh, that uh, a kind of deus ex machina, a, a huge technological innovation could actually do the job. So I think we're now agreeing that, that, that this has to be a combined effort. Now, Dirk, you've been very patient listening to me, to me ramble on here. What's your suggestion as to the as to the right way forward to to get a more efficient infrastructure? I'm going to ask each of you this question. Uh, yes, so I, I mean it, it is it is um, a very good question, um, and it very nicely fits to the topic of our webinar today. So I think we, we need to probably want step back and look at a situation that we, we shouldn't hide the fact that historically there might also have been some aspects of national pride right um, and similar considerations um, preventing more consolidation on the csd space because um, countries just would like to have their own one now i think that in the future scale is going to be very important we have seen that in the custodian space over the last few years where several institutions have decided to exit the custody business just because they have realized um, that you need to have a significant scale in order to cover the investment required in order to be successful in this space. Now, we will need to see, and I cannot decide on behalf of others, right? But um, I, I, I think we would truly welcome more consolidation in the interest of scalability and efficiency in the European landscape. Um, and key will be to deliver operational efficiency and client benefit on the back of that. We, we invest heavily in our system infrastructure, and we are very supportive on, on digitization and blockchain solutions. Our aim is also to fully integrate uh, to the point we made earlier that ICSDs are, seem to be more active on the blockchain. I mean, the, the ECB trials, it's going to be the CSDs as well on our side, and I suppose others are going to join as well. But we also fully integrate ICSD and CSD. I mean, to the outside world, it should not really make a difference at the end. So what we are working on right now is to fully integrate the technology platforms internally on our side, use them on both sides, makes them very efficient and move to the cloud at the same time. This is part of the journey. And 
I suppose that some of the smaller CSDs are going to realize that the investment needed in order to become or be part of T2S and, and jump all those hurdles is probably not really worth it if you have really very, very low volume because um, the, the charge you would have to apply on a single instruction is going to be outrageous, right? Th that is yeah. probably driving the consolidation at a certain point of time, maybe slower than on the custodian side because of those other considerations. But I think over time, it's going to happen. And we are a very strong advocate for that from our perspective. And, and we really tried our best to support our clients with solutions, which also give them access to blockchain solutions, but not in an isolated way, right? It needs to be an infrastructure. It needs to be connected. You have to have liquidity pools. And that is why we have decided to work along the value chain rather than do the big bang approach. Thank you, Jack. Commercial economics will tell. Bill, um, just very quickly, what's the best thing we can do to come up with this set of supportive CSD services for a European capital market? Yeah, I, I think Hugh makes a great point. There's three or four major CSD groups out, out in Europe now. So um, for, for me, the one thing that we can do is make sure that they can interoperate with the, within each other. So we've got two ICSDs, and I'm sure that within the ICSD to the, C, to the CSD, within Clearstream, they can move assets about intraday, you know, quite easily. Euroclear can probably do the same, but it's in between all of those different entities. That that needs to be a more efficient process for, for me to make that uh, um, it, to to give you the the, the choice that um, the clients may want to make sure that um, everybody stays on their toes and provides the best service. Okay, and, so and just fewer, fewer, just, fewer bilateral links. Yeah, but, but I'd also go back to get the fundamentals right, get everything in place to make sure that everything's got the best chance of settling. Yes, we're apt, we're apt to forget that when we talk about blockchain, like reference data and matching and all that. Andrea, what's your answer to so this? My view, I think the very first uh, point to address is uh, the creation of a unique legal framework for issuance in Europe that will incentivize government, government and treasuries to put everything in the single pot, facilitating access to the smaller uh, market players. So for me, SWIFT only option as per article, I think 35 if, of CSDR, if I remember correctly, is a barrier to entry. And uh, mandating also rule for asset servicing, including fiscal services, remain uh, uh, three, three points for success. So, but uh, it is not, I mean, the platform itself, uh, we have already, I think, acknowledged that is largely insufficient to the creation of a single European market. Okay, so we need, we need legal changes. Martin? Very quickly, your your last thought on how to make this progress. The key element for us, this will be driven by economic benefits, the economic benefits to the corporates. And if you can get uh, a lot of the inefficiency driven out of the market at one level, you'll be surprised how much more will come. It's going to be driven by the economics and that goes through to the corporates. Okay, thanks, Martin. Paul, uh, to you, Chris, to have the, the final word from the panel before we sign off. I think a couple of things. I think Giovannini is turning in his grave. Barriers to entry into the capital market have <laughs> just gone up. Look, we, we've been in this business for over 35 years. If I was starting now, starting a business, I wouldn't be able to become a CSD vendor. That's the first thing. Now, I, I support what uh, Andrea's comments, but he, he's from operations. I'm from technology side. For me, the biggest point on technology is interoperability. You look at America and think, oh, it's a single integrated market. No, it's attractive because there's only one way of doing business with it. 
one way for the entire country. Not because it's integrated. We don't care about that. We just have one way of interacting with them. Are those two the same thing? They're closely linked, but they're not the same thing. Interoperability is, is, is key. And having SWIFT as the only vendor for transport, not a good idea. You can standardize on SWIFT messages, but yet have much cheaper forms of transport. That's it. Thank you, Chris. I'm going to let actually let John Falk have the 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 final oh. word, in which he says, "I thought you'd retired, John." Yeah. Well, then he's obviously sort of eighteen <laughs> observer of what's happening, and he brings to this a lot of experience. Um, he says, "20 years on from Lampedusa and Giovannini, I think we're facing another 20 years of split financial infrastructures." Apologies <laughs> for the negative view, uh, and I can't blame him after listening to this discussion for thinking. Anyway, I think we must. It is work that has to restart. We, we must stop now. Uh, and we've more than run out of time. I'd like to thank uh, our panellists, um, Dirk Loscher from Clearstream, uh, Chris Richardson from Percival Software, our sponsor today, uh, Andrea Tacquilini from uh, the Securities Depository Centre in, in Riyadh, uh, from Bill Minahan from Simple, and Martin Watkins from Montes Group. Yeah. Um, our next webinar uh, is due to take place in April, um, and at it we'll be discussing uh, challenges raised in the inaugural edition of our digital asset tokenization guide. I would refer everyone listening to, for example, if you wanted to find out what's happening at uh, D7 in Germany, do have a look at the latest issue of our um, digital asset custody guide, which can, has a, a lengthy discussion about blockchain developments in Germany. Uh, so I hope lots of you will look at that, and I hope lots of you will join us at our next webinar in April. But for now, it's goodbye from the six of us. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye-bye.